want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, because I know this will lead to my salvation, through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ashton. Good morning, church. I hope you have your Bibles there. We are going to be looking at that text as we um, ask the Lord to help us understand uh, how looking at the absolute um, and complete devotion um, to the gospel from the Apostle Paul uh, still makes sense to us in our time, and, 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 and what does it look like in our specific circumstances? Um, I'm not an apostle. I didn't have a Damascus Road experience, um, and you might think, well, yeah, but you're a pastor. Sure, but I'm not the Apostle Paul, and so um, I hope that you look at a text like this and think, wow, that's radical. That's a crazy kind of love, and it is, but it's not out of the ordinary, When you see someone who is utterly and completely devoted to something, you either say, that's nuts. I don't know why you care that much about something like that. Or you say, huh, I wish I was more like that. My oldest son decided that there was a time in his life in which he wanted to do the whole Boy Scouts thing. And so uh, they have something called, uh, it's a boxcar, is that right? Boxcar Derby, is that what it is? And... Pinewood? Pinewood Derby? I don't think it was, I thought it was boxcar. But, oh, you're right, boxcar is the real car. That's, you're right, Pinewood. Pinewood Derby. That's, <laughs> ugh, I should have been more involved in his life. It was when I was at the college, not when I was here. Okay, yeah, my wife's already shaking her head. Um, but, it, okay, wait, stop, hold on, before you just start thinking bad thoughts about me. Um, I remember going, I want to do this. And, you know, they say things like, let the boys work on it themselves. Like, let them do it, right? Let, let, this is their project, not yours, right? And so I, I don't remember. I think we cut a tree down and put sticks on the end and little wooden wheels and, you know, kind of a pla- – I remember one kid had, like, a whole bunch of plastic army men, like, duct taped to the top of his, came in last, surprise, surprise. I guess wind resistance is still something even for a Pinewood Derby, but – um, I remember the first year just looking at Matthew when he finished like almost dead last and going, wow, these people are taking this way more seriously than I ever imagined. And I just remember thinking to myself, never again, never again. I was never able to win, but I just remember reading about and watching videos about like how serious, how many of you know how serious this gets? Yeah, like a few of you know what I'm talking about. Like literally, you, you buy a special kind of like graphite or something and you graphite the wheels. 
What? what? There are eight. Nope, you graphite the wheels, and then you try to figure out a way. This is, this is how serious it gets. You try to figure out a way, not just to streamline it, but to weight it properly, right? And again, a lot of you are going, how did you not know this? It's a long story, but I did not know this. And then I'll never forget, the, when I really began to realize how serious they take this, is that technically all four wheels have to be on the ground at once, but you want to try to play with that because if there's three wheels, it goes faster. And I just remember thinking to myself, two things. Number one, if I put the attention and effort, like all these other weirdo parents, right? Like if I did that, I mean, I can do this. I can, I can do this. And here's what I found out. Me to the best of my ability, utterly and completely, absolutely devoted to pine wood, not boxcar derby racing, still gets us like fifth. <laughs> in Carl, I mean, I was wondering if we would win like nationals, right? But no, 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 no. We finished like fifth in our district. Or maybe he went on, one of them went on one year to a little bit further. But I remember thinking to myself, this is as far as I can go. <laughs> Like, I'm not going pro with this. I'm not going to the Olympics. Like, it's not going to happen. We're just going to have to settle for not being embarrassed, but not being super proud, right? That's kind of where we were in. We're in that kind of that sweet spot. And I just remember going, wow, like, this is so much, and I'm not doing it, (laughs) right? You know what I'm talking about. You, You see people that are completely, absolutely devoted to something. And, and you just go, huh, I, I can't do that. I, I remember even in school, like even in Bible college, um, learning Greek and, and loving to learn Greek and spending time learning Greek. And then there was a guy in my class, same name, James. And I just remember going, but not like him. Like, it's weird. And you might call it a gift, but it's not just a gift. Like, he was obsessed with this. And he was memorizing things. I remember I, I could get an A in the class, but I remember just always looking over at James and going, his A's better than mine. Right? There's just those people that have this, this rabid, this, this devotion. And I, I, obviously, I had a lot more respect for, for Greek than I did for the Pinewood Derby. But we look at people, whether it's the face painters or the people that go to every game. It doesn't no matter where it is, and it doesn't matter if we win, and it doesn't matter if we lose. We are a fan. We are fanatics about this. And then we have varying degrees of appreciation or, hmm, it's just weird. It's just weird. And then we read the Bible. And we see a similar devotion. I don't know if you heard it in the text today. But an absolute and complete devotion to the gospel. And you, you realize, huh, um, I, don't, I don't know if that's me. I don't know if I could say that. I don't know if I could do that. And, and then we have to, and this is what I want us to do this morning, then we have to ask this question. Are you, we have to ask this question like, is that normal? <laughs> right? Like the Pinewood Derby dude, dudette, who whichever one mom, dad, decide to take that to the extreme. Like, is that normal? And, and honestly, I think we should all just say, no, that's not normal. Okay? Maybe being more devoted to something of greater substance, we would appreciate. But like, this is God. Like, shouldn't we all kind of have this kind of devotion? I want to think about that this morning with you. This radical, single-minded, unwavering devotion to the thing that matters the most. We say that it matters the most. And here's what I don't want to do this morning. I have no desire to just put a burden on you. An unnecessary burden. I don't want to just say, hey, come on. Oh, yeah. How come you're not like this? 
What's wrong with you? Or you walk away and you doubt, do I even love God? Have you ever had that moment? I've had that moment. You see somebody else, they are so devoted and you wonder, what am I even doing here? Like, how do I even fit? It's like one of those great Sesame Street lines. One of these things is not like the other and you're just looking at this incredible devotion either on the pages of scripture or maybe in real life, right? You hear about somebody that gives their life for the gospel and you just humbly, honestly, painfully admit, I don't know if I could do that. I mean, we had that moment last week. When a young woman said, I'm going to Papua New Guinea. Do you remember this? And she's describing what she's going to go through. And how many of you are going, I don't know if I'd let my daughter do that. I don't know if I could do that. I confessed to her. I'll share this with you. I confessed to her. I have been every place that we have these major ministries except for Papua New Guinea. And one of the reasons why, it's, it's actually not the snakes that scare me. I've done Ethiopia. That's pretty scary on the snake front. Honestly, it's the mosquitoes. And we've sent one team there once, and when they came back and described it, I just remember going, I don't know if I could do that. If I'm being really honest, I, I don't know if I could, not just an inconvenience. And I'm not necessarily like scared. I'm just thinking about what it's like to be in a boat for seven hours being constantly swarmed. Anyone want to go to Papua New Guinea, by the way? Anybody? No, I get it. Now, here's the thing. Like, what do we do with that? And I don't think it's right as Christians to just go, oh, that's just for Paul. No, we can't do that. And yet, I also think it is improper for us to feel wrongly burdened. Right? I think that's that's wrong for us. It's wrong for me to put that on you as a pastor, as a leader. And it's, I think, wrong for us to just blindly accept it because I know a lot of people that wrestle with this and and this is what concerns me is then we just kind of move through our day going, I really feel bad, I really feel bad. Well, I, I need to stop thinking about that. No, no, no. If that is a right Holy Spirit conviction, something needs to change. Fair? And if it's not, this is what I think, this is what I, I've been excited about because I've been, I've been slugging in this text for a while now and I felt like I don't know if I can measure up to this. And I can't just dismiss this. And so one of the things I just want us to do for a moment is just be grateful that other people have this without worrying about ourselves. Like I'm just really grateful that there are people in this world that have, because I think it comes from God, everything does, a devotion and ability that is out of this world. And I don't want them to be silent because, you know, I just don't want to make you feel bad and I don't want to brag. I get it. Please don't make me feel bad and don't brag, but can you please give me a picture of Jesus that would still inspire me? Can I take my hypersensitive, always ready to be offendedness by just normal people living amazing lives and just be inspired? Just be encouraged? And I think we're losing this. We're, we're, we're losing some of this in our society that is hypersensitive. And people are bottling it down and we're afraid to share some of these stories because I just don't want you to think that this, no, 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 speak, speak boldly. 
allow me to work through what's going on in my own heart, but I, I need, I, I, I promise you, after thinking and reflecting and praying, I know that I need, even though I'm not there myself, maybe because I'm not there myself, I need, we need a radical, single-minded, unwavering devotion from somewhere. And God is doing it. He's doing it. And may we give thanks to him for that. It looks like this. Can I show you a couple of quick pictures of the Bible? That just is, these words astound me. The first one is found in Genesis chapter 12. You might want to just either write this down. It'll be on the screen. This is from the life of Joseph, who is sold into slavery by his brothers, who has been completely mistreated. And every time he begins to make a step up, he gets knocked down. And so typically what that happens, when you've been knocked down for the fourth time, I am not getting up, I'm getting even. But not Joseph. Now hear me, he, if you know the story, he plays a game with his brothers. But in the end, his brothers come to a realization that they're in trouble because the one that they traded in, the one that they sold into slavery, is now second in charge of the greatest nation in the world at the time, and they are at his mercy. And here's what Joseph says. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Ah, let me back up. Um, I, yeah, <laughs> give me one second to gather myself. In that moment, Joseph literally says to, this is not the Genesis 12 text, Joseph literally says to his brothers, I need you to understand that what happened here, what happened in this instance, was not about you. It was about God. And I'm not gonna take it personally. Because what you don't have to worry about is that I'm going to seek revenge on you because I realize that my life and my circumstances are actually under God's control. And so what you intended for evil, what you intended to be wrong was actually intended for good. How do you say that? Well, one of the ways that he can say it is that he had a picture of this from his grandfather Abraham. This is the Genesis 12 text I was thinking of. Take a look at this. It absolutely astounds me um, this is an unforgotten or a mostly forgotten idea that we see in Genesis 12. At the very beginning, Abram is told, go to the land that I'm going to show you. And Abram has to travel virtually almost across a desert with his wife and with their caravan. And then here is how it describes when they finally get to the land that God was preparing him for, that God was taking him to. Listen to this. From there, he moved to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. He built an altar to the Lord there, and he called on the name of the Lord. And then Abraham journeyed by stages to the Negev, which means he's now going further than he should have, all the way back into the desert. Why? Verse 10. For there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to stay there for a while because the famine on the land was so severe. Now listen, that's not just a, a story that's not just what happened. Think about it. I want you to go to the land that I'm going to show you. The Lord calls you to the land that he is going to show you. How does Joseph know to go? God is in control. Because his family has a history of trusting that God is in control. Joseph's remembering the story of his great-grandfather who was called to a different land. And when he finally got to that land, what was there waiting for him? Imagine this. Imagine telling your spouse... We are going to go to a place. This is where the Lord wants to take us. And when you get there, there's a famine. How many of us would question, was this really God? Was this really what God intended? This doesn't make sense to me. And Abram just keeps on going. 
The Apostle Paul, we, we see this picture in the Apostle Paul, and it's interesting that one of the clearest pictures of the Apostle Paul struggling is in Philippi, where our text comes from. The Apostle Paul, as I shared with you last week, travels to the city of Philippi, and when he gets there, there's a little bit of success. He has a couple of conversions. There is this miracle where he re- releases a slave girl from a, demon possessed, um, from a demon possession, and then right after that, he gets attacked. Look at these words. Verses 22 through 24 of Acts 16. Listen to this. This is what, he, this is what awaited for him in Philippi when, the, when, when he saw the vision. The crowd joined in the attack against him and the chief magistrate stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. And after they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in stocks. This is what you had waiting for me? Just like a famine? just like a prison in Egypt. The Apostle Paul's response sounds so beautifully from when when Jesus converted Paul, when Jesus approached Paul, he never lied to him. And, And this is one of the things that's important about really coming to the Bible on its terms and not ours, not getting what we want out of it, not selectively choosing ideas and texts that support our ideas or our agenda, but coming to the Bible. It's why we like to preach through whole books so I don't selectively choose things, so I don't manipulate the Bible to get what I want or what you want, or collectively what we want, but instead we sit under it submissively. And and Jesus points out to a man named Ananias, who's the one who's going to to baptize the Apostle Paul. So I guarantee you, Paul knew this information. Here's what Paul's conversion included. He says to Ananias, go for this man, that's the Apostle Paul, is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, to kings and to Israelites. Well, that sounds like fun. Kings? I get to preach in front of kings? And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Like Abram, like Joseph and Moses, like Jesus. The Apostle Paul understands that the world we live in is in rebellion against God. And therefore, those who are in alignment with him are going to face varying degrees of opposition. Varying degrees even of temptation. But God is worth it. God is a worthy sacrifice. And so what we see in our text at the very beginning is that for the Apostle Paul, the advance of the gospel, the spreading the good news of Jesus in how he lived and how he preached was something that was greater than anything he had. Look at verses 12 and 13. The Apostle says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, because they know he's in prison, what has happened to me, the difficulties that I have gone through, what has happened to me, Actually, and this is where we need divine insight, what has happened to me actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. And so I need you to look at my circumstances, not with human eyes, 
Not, not from a human perspective, but from a divine. So what, what I think happens to those people that have this crazy love or this radical devotion, what, what, what's happened to them is they're able to, they don't deny what's going on in their lives, they just look at it differently. I, I don't know how much everything has completely changed, but I do know this, their perspective has. And so they're looking at their life and they're not just looking at it this way. I think many of us, I'll speak for myself, I get troubled and I get confused and I get scared and I get anxious and I get mad and I get frustrated when I'm spending all of my life, all of my time looking at it this way, horizontally. When I look at it horizontally and I see opposition and I see barriers and I see frustrations and I see setbacks and I just sit in it and it just seems like it's getting worse. It just seems like it's getting worse. I don't know about you. I just think it's getting worse. Right? Have you heard people that talk like this? I just think it's getting worse. Absolutely worse. That's all it's getting is worse. I don't, I don't disagree with them. Because if I just kind of sit and look out, I see it. I see it. So what does the Apostle Paul see? And, and here's what I love. Listen to him. He's not going, nothing's happening to me. No, 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 no. I want you to know I'm in prison. (laughs) I get it. I promise you, I wake up every day and I'm in prison. I know I'm in prison better than you know I'm in prison. Like, I know my circumstances. I know where I am. I just need to tell you that somehow, by the power of God and by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it has allowed me, it has permitted me, it it has strengthened me to sometimes rise above, not in denial of, but to rise above and to see something else. Eyes of faith see see further. They don't deny this. They see this and then they see more. Faith sees more. And that's what the Apostle Paul sees. He's actually able to say, I just want you to know that what has actually happened to me. Oh, no, no, yeah, I was beaten. No, 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 I I was thrown in prison. But what actually happened to me, wow. How do you do do that? How do you do that? Like number one is obviously to sit in it and to begin to process it and then to ask one of the most difficult questions of life. How does the Bible speak into these circumstances? How does the Bible shape the way that I look at me and my life and the world? How how does the Bible describe what God is doing right now? One of the most amazing statements I've ever heard made by a young woman who's part of our congregation. Um, You guys know Shauna Ogle? Shauna went through breast cancer right before we moved here, I believe, was the time in which she was diagnosed. She was young, little boys. And and here's what she said. I just found out during that whole experience that God didn't give me cancer. He gave me a testimony. He gave me a witness. She loves to say that. She's incredibly grateful for her journey, and not all journeys are like that. How do you say that? And honestly, I'm even fine by looking at her and going, no, I really think she's better than me. (laughs) I really think she's got a kind of faith that seems stronger than mine. I'll be honest with you. That's how I look at her. And I'm grateful that she's my sister. 
And I'm grateful that should I be in circumstances that may be similar to hers. I don't know, worse, better. But as they begin to line up, I now know some words to say, or at least try to say. How do you do that? By not just looking, but by looking. How many of us are stuck with frustration and anger and fear? And and hear me, I, I get it. I'm not denying any of it. I'm just saying that what the Bible offers us, what Jesus offers us, what the Holy Spirit empowers us is a view from another it's not just perspective. It's like a view from another dimension. What, what Jesus does and what God provides is a looking further, looking deeper into all of these things. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, these gifts in Scripture are, are meant to encourage us and to sustain us, not to knock us down and to make us feel like what's wrong with us. No, 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 no. Because I, I love this reminder. Here's, here's one of the greatest biblical truths. There is in many ways no difference between the great superstars of the Bible, other than Jesus. He's on a wholly different plane, right? But other than that, what is so amazing about Moses? What is so amazing about Abraham? What is so amazing about Joseph? What is so amazing about the Apostle Paul? Tell me, what is it? And the only thing is, they dared to believe God at his word. And we can too. They get no step. They don't. I believe this. God is the one who is enacting. God is the one who is empowering. And that sits available to us. And why? It's, it's because of this. And you can see it, whether it's Abram or whether it's Joseph. Now, that's, those are Old Testament pictures. But what we actually see in the Apostle Paul, uh, his ability to see is what he understands is that it's the advance of the gospel, the spreading of the gospel. And by the way, when I say advance of the gospel, it's not just preaching. It, it's, it's not just standing on a, on, a, on, a, on a box or standing on a campus and just yelling out the, the gospel of Christ. It is a also, it is that, hear me, it is that, and that's a part of it, but it is also a living out a faithful witness to the truths of the gospel, okay? To living out the implications of the good news of Jesus Christ in our homes and in our families. That's why in the end, sure, you don't have to be the Apostle Paul. You don't have to be Savannah Barth. You don't have to be. You have to be you to where God has called you. But this is one thing that doesn't change for them, for you, for me, is this. To believe that the advance of the gospel is actually under God's control, not ours. It's under God's control, not ours. Therefore, the witness that we give, the circumstances that we find ourselves in, are his. And and learning to find a sense of peace in that. A sense of purpose in that. Now, I think it in part begins by realizing that even, even our lives lived out to the very, very end is still a small part of the story. That's why I think last year's series that we did on the story of God, where we kind of went from Genesis to Revelation, is so important to remember. Nobody fully understood. Everybody thought that their time was the most important time. We all do. Every, this is, you know, I don't know if you've heard this before, Ian, but this, I really believe that this next election is going to be the most important election in U.S. history. And I'm going, yeah, I know, I was born in 68, so I think I've lived through lots of those. 
right? This is kind of, isn't this what we say? Well, yeah, because that's what everybody likes to say. Like, I have no idea. I really have no idea. I've only been alive since 1968, so I really don't know what 1668, or sorry, 1868 was like. 1668, we weren't a country yet. But anyway, I don't know what that's like. But I do know this, God has it under control. And that's why Paul can speak like he does. Look at verses 14 through 19. He says this, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. Okay, so here's what he says. There are, there are those who are now looking at my circumstances and going, I can do that. They're inspired at some level, right? By Paul, they're seeing that, that this is what could happen and they're seeing Paul and they're recognizing this is actually what happens. There was actually a time in church history where it became popular to be a martyr. In the parts of northern Africa for almost the first 300 years as the church is being established and they literally, the church had to stop, start saying pretty regularly, don't go out and seek it. There's a famous story of a young boy that so wanted to be a martyr, his mother hid his clothes because he doesn't mind being a martyr, but I'm not doing it naked. Literally, hid his clothes so that he wouldn't go out and get, the church had to say, hey, everybody, like, dial it down, dial it down. You're missing the point on this. The point on this is not, I love this reminder, the point on this is not martyrdom. It's living a life that if that's God's plan, we're good to go. But don't seek it. That does not make sense. That does not fit into the advance of the gospel. And they had to rebuke the church members who were actively seeking it because that was a misguided understanding. Now, I don't think that's our problem. But the Apostle Paul says, people have looked at my circumstances and they've become encouraged and they now preach. Fearlessly. And then he admits this. This is the part I love, verse 15. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed in the defense of the gospel. Those are the, the ones who are preaching it well. They do it out of love. Paul's in prison. I'm willing to kind of step up and do my part. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. While Paul's in prison, I'm going to try to make my name great. And then he says this, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause more trouble in my imprisonment, right? They're literally causing him problems and trouble. And, and, and then Paul says this, I love verse 18, but what does it matter? No, hear me. Paul's not saying that our, our motivations or other motivations, good or bad, it doesn't matter. What Paul is saying is, listen to this, Paul is saying, that is not my business. Like what I care about, what I care about is actually what God is doing, and I trust him in control of this. That's what I believe in. I, I believe that I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna worry about that. I'm not gonna become obsessed without that. We, we've had to do this as a church periodically. There was an earthquake in Haiti a number of years ago. So we started going. And I'll never forget, the group came back and said, listen, we, we kinda wanna help, but it's complicated in Haiti. Like right now, we haven't gone for a while because it's been more than complicated. It's been unwise. It's been unwise for us to go. And they came back and they said things like, you know, I think 
we're going to try to maybe build like a cement foundation and maybe start to do like an orphanage. I just need you to realize, and here's how I'm being approached. I just got to be honest with you. Like it's complicated over there and we don't even know whose land it is. And so if we take up an offering and we begin to build something, like, you know, it could cost $10,000. And then after we're done, somebody could come and take it. So do we want to do that? No, I get it. What, what do we like to do? Well, I don't know. 10000 Don't want to waste $10,000. Hate to waste $10,000. I get it. We don't just want to throw $10,000 away. But for a while after we were praying and thinking about it, we, we really came to a decision. You know, I don't know if that's our concern. Like we need to decide whether or not we need to do that, not knowing exactly where this is going to go. We took up an offering and we started a church in Guru, Africa, not knowing exactly where that's going to go. By the way, everything's going great. <laughs> but it is, and we rejoice in that. But I say to you, a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, hey, by the way, everything has gone south in that part of the world, and here's what's happening, and here's... May we never say, I wish we wouldn't have done that. No, may we be able to say like the Apostle Paul, this is the Lord's business. We, we did what we should have done. Praise be the name of the Lord for the years in which the good news of Jesus Christ was boldly proclaimed and people came to faith. And may the Lord judge those that have chosen to take and to steal, to manipulate and to abuse. May the Lord be the judge of that. May, may we continue to live with eyes of faith. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. What does it matter? And his point isn't it doesn't matter. No, no, no. His point is to me, since I'm just the Apostle Paul, and I'm not the one that called myself, and I'm not the one that empowered myself, and I'm not one, the one preaching myself, and I'm not the one sustaining myself. That is not my responsibility. My responsibility is to be faithful. But the times and the people and the places that the Lord puts me. And to trust the Lord with everything else. I love it. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I don't know which one causes which. I don't know if the perspective that the Apostle Paul has allows him to rejoice. Or if the rejoicing allows him to have that perspective. Which one is it? Which one is it? I love the fact that I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't know. And, and maybe that's why that at times like this, at times like this, we, we can genuinely recognize um, that, that there are times in the Bible where we're, we're commanded to love God. We're commanded to rejoice. Rejoice. I don't feel like that's, I grew up with my parents telling them what I feel like. Here's what I want you to do. I don't feel like taking the garbage out. My father's just, I don't remember asking you about how you feel. I don't feel like it. I'm sure, my, my, my phrase to my kids was, I'm sure you don't. I'm sure you don't feel like it. Nobody feels like that. And that doesn't mean we do it like just callously or robotically. Like there's another option, right? Like it doesn't mean that, you know, if you're 
If you're trying to sing a song in a worship service and it's not quite there, it doesn't, well, I refuse to. I get it. You're trying to be authentic and genuine. But, man, so much of my life and my marriage and my relationships and my walk with Christ, which is the culmination of everything I do, is spent wanting more. And sometimes you get it by doing more. The last thing that we see just from verse 20 of our text is this. What we get from the Apostle Paul is that we should focus our attention and efforts on Jesus being honored in all that we do. Paul ends this entire section not by focusing on himself. He actually focuses on what Christ is going to do through him. Verse 20, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything But that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Whether by life or by death. Again, I get it. But that's not me. I'm not in a prison. That's not me. I'm not an apostle. And and we don't have to go to Philippi. And, And we don't have to go to Jerusalem believing that we are about to die. We don't have to do those things because that was Paul's journey. And, and I meant it when I said, I have no desire to put on you a burden or a yoke that is not from the Holy Spirit. And so I pray that you would use people like Abram or Joseph or the Apostle Paul, ultimately Jesus, as our example, as inspiration, as our picture of what a radical life looked like and and wanting pieces of that but in reality all of us here have have a different life so what do we do I remember when when there are real difficult things that are actually happening in the world and I just feel helpless racism extreme poverty war famine and I just kind of look around and I'm like what can I do I I remember talking to a a good friend about you know what can we do in light of all of the difficulties that are happening in our country and this person much younger but at this moment much wiser than me said well I think you've already kind of done it a little bit in the fact that you and Andrea raise boys that don't act like that huh thanks be to God (laughs) because it's not because we are perfect parents I mean, like one of the things that you can do if you, if you may never be, by the hand of God, you may never be an Esther. You may never be a Daniel. You might raise one. You know, that's why as a church, like we're really interested in things like this. There's a parent connect thing that we're gonna be starting in which we're gonna be talking about a very real and practical way that just as parents, I mean, that's the beauty of it. You don't have to feel bad that you're not the Apostle Paul. I'm not. I don't feel called. I really don't. I've wondered, should I go to, my boys are going all these places, and, and should we go? Maybe we should go. Should we go? And then we like to pat ourselves on the back. No, no, no. We're missionaries from Canada. You're welcome. <laughs> I feel like we got the better end of that deal, but anyway, you're welcome. And then just to realize, no, one of the most important things I can actually do is take care of the things around me. I, I want to say this. You have, for those of you that are parents, you have little ones looking at you 
And my question I'm going to ask is this. Do they see a single-minded devotion to Jesus and to his kingdom in you? Or do they see somebody more interested in Pinewood Derbies? Or, or grades? Success? Yeah, there have been times where we haven't done that right. And I'm grateful for we're going to have an opportunity to do it. Here is our goal, though. Our goal is that at the end of our lives, we'd be able to say something like this. The Apostle Paul, as he is, he thinks he's going to go die, but God's like, no, I've got just more prison for you. This is a speech given where he is going back to Jerusalem. He's talking to the Ephesian elders, and they're afraid he's going to go die. He says, I'm willing to go die. I'm going back to Jerusalem. And what's interesting is they're all wrong. He's not going to die, but it is going to be hard. But here's what the Apostle Paul says. And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. I love this verse. I tried to read this through tears at my ordination. But I consider my life as of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. I have one, and I think you have one. Can I just tell you, I believe you have a ministry. The word is, means like a service. And I, I love this, that you can devote yourself in the exact same way that the Apostle Paul does. And I'm willing to bet that none of us will end up in a Roman prison or a Caesarean prison or a Jerusalem prison Jerusalem, more likely for me. I can't control that. But at 4521 class in court, my wife and I can live out a life with that same kind of devotion. It will just look differently. So that my neighbors and my children and now my grandchildren will be able to see someone who's not the Apostle Paul. No, his grandpa. No, he's just her pastor. No, he's not the Apostle Paul. But he's trying to be like the Apostle Paul, right? He's trying to be like him. No, I'm not. Trying to be like him. He is our example. For he did not consider the pain that he would suffer as something to avoid, but he gave himself freely. And Jesus took the bread on the night that he was betrayed and he broke it. And he said, this is me. This is my body and it is given for you and I want you to join me. I want you to become like me. And you can't do this on your own, but you can do it with me. And that's what we do. The Bible says, Paul says that when we eat and drink this, we proclaim his death. We give witness to who he is. This is the source of our strength, the source of our mission. This is our picture of complete and utter devotion. Let us take it. And with celebration, let us eat. His blood given for us. Let us join him and drink. What a picture of complete and utter devotion. Paul got it from Jesus. 
All the disciples got it from Jesus. And we do too. So I don't know where you're at. I do pray that you are rightly convicted by the Holy Spirit to be more devoted. But don't be anybody. Don't be anybody. Don't feel any burden to be anyone other than the you that God has created for his glory, for the you that God has empowered by his spirit, for his glory, others' benefit, and our what? Our greatest joy. Let us stand and sing, church.